Hey, this is Abby Sachek. Welcome to the New Culture Church podcast. Our vision is to create the culture of Christ in Madison, one person, one place at a time. We believe this happens through being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. And we hope that the teachings and the content you find here will help you do just that. We also know that these are trying times, so if you need anything at all, please reach out to us through our website. We would love to connect with you. We hope you enjoy this podcast. All right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and get started. Today, we have a special guest speaker. Our lovely pastor is in Israel, so we decided we're going to have a guest speaker today. So today, we have joining us John Anderson from the Collaboration Project. Yeah! Uh, But he's been a part of our uh, community before. He's spoken to us last summer, Um, so we want to give him a warm welcome. But before he comes up, I'm going to go ahead and read our scripture for today. Today we're going to be in John chapter 17, verses 13 through 26. John chapter 17, verses 13 through 26. It says, But now I am coming to you and have these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Ladies and gentlemen, John Anderson. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is John Anderson, and it's great to be with you. I want to say thank you to Abby for the invitation to speak today. So let me briefly just introduce myself. Um, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Mary. We live uh, in Monona, which is not too far from here. We have three kids, uh, Ethan, Charlotte, and Hazel. They're all in elementary school right now. In fact, this year is the one year of their entire lives that they'll be in the same school together. So that's kind of fun for us and also convenient for the moment. Um, we, Mary and I met as undergrads at the UW when we were both in campus ministry, uh, and this next summer we'll be celebrating our 15th anniversary. So pretty exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and my professional background, I've worked as a pastor for a little over 20 years before doing what I'm doing now. First at Blackhawk Church on the west side of town, uh, and then later at Door Creek Church on the east side of town. Uh, And when I started my career, I was in youth ministry for a long time, 
And then in the last part of being a pastor, I worked with adults. And to be honest, it's kind of the same thing, minus like less ice cream and lock-ins with the old people. But it was a great pleasure. But during that time, one of the things that happened was over those 20 years, I started to observe uh, well, I should back up. One of the things that I did, in fact, one of the m main things that I did as a pastor over those 20 years is help engage the church I was in with serving locally in our community. Uh, we called it different things, but that was kind of the gist of it. And as I was doing that, I had a chance to work with a lot of different nonprofits and a lot of churches. And one of the things I started to observe is that every church I worked with uh, that wasn't necessarily my own wanted to do good in the community they were part of. In fact, I have yet to ever meet a church that doesn't have that as part of what they long to do. At the same time, very few of those churches were necessarily working together, especially if you got outside of some of the denominational lines or theological lines that they were within. And very few were seeing the kind of community transformation that they long to be a part of. And so that observation, those kind of two things percolated and in, in my own um, sense of calling evolved over time to a calling... Uh, and, and in 2019, in fact, three years ago, about this week, we launched Collaboration Project. And our mission is to foster collaboration between the 320 plus churches in Dane County for the good of the community. And our vision, our, our, our preferred future, is that we would love to see the Dane County Church, capital C, so all 320 as the people of God, we would love to see them united in transformational service, meaning our transformational love, rather meaning love that is like felt and noticed in tangible ways to the glory of God and flourishing of all people. So that's really our mission and our vision. Now, but this desire for the greater church, uh, or honestly, even like any given congregation, even some like a smaller one like your own, to have this, uh, this sense of unity is increasingly countercultural in the community and the world that we live in. Uh, examples of how deeply we are divided run along things like issues around race, politics, COVID response, and on and on and on. In fact, uh, maybe some of you have read this as well in a recent Atlantic article titled, Why the Past 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid, which I just want to say is like a really fun title to read in church, by author Jonathan Haidt. He, write, he says this, he builds a case that we are living in the new Babel. And I quote, we are disoriented, unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. We are cut off from one another and from the past. And then he goes on throughout the rest of his article to essentially blame much of it on social media for the reasons of these grow quickly growing divides that we're seeing throughout our society and even around the world. Now, regardless of what the cause is, we live in a deeply divided country right now. Now, it makes sense to me, and I would even argue that it's okay. In fact, it's even a good thing that when we look at the broader church, there are deeply held differences within the different churches around the community. That's a good thing. However, when those differences map perfectly onto the differences and divides that we see in the greater community, that should be a warning sign for us. And unfortunately, in the last three years of the work that I've been doing, that's very much what I see in Dane County. Over the past uh, three years, I've had the chance to work with over 100 churches in Dane County, and I've heard numerous stories, I've lost track at this point, from different pastors, from different traditions, different denominations, but sharing the same heartache of the divisions that they are experiencing within their congregations around issues like 
masking versus not masking, meeting in person versus meeting online, the vaccine and what we talk about around it, uh, different political views and talking about it versus staying silent, racial reconciliation versus being silent on racial issues. And the list goes on and on and on. And the truth is these are undoubtedly very important issues. But sometimes when I observe the disunity and, and, and infighting within the broader church, I ask myself this question, is there any hope for us to be united through all of this? And I think the beautiful thing is, is that the prayer of Jesus that we just heard a few moments ago, found in John 17, offers a beautiful vision for the people of God to live out a different story. And it's in that prayer that we observe that we as the people of God are both called and empowered to live in unity in the midst of a deeply divided world. Now, in just a second, I want to take a closer look at that text together. But before I do that, just let me uh, offer a couple of observations about the context as well as the literary passage uh, or literary form in this passage. So first of all, uh, John 17, something I think find very interesting, is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the entire scriptures. Um, and it's often been described as the beloved chapter of the beloved gospel because of how succinctly it summarizes the heart and the mission of Christ. So there's so much packed into this one short prayer. This prayer is also an example of a, a common literary form found in ancient Judaism where a dying or departing leader offers their, their final words to those that they love or they, those that they are leading. So one uh, famous example of this is found in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and 33 where Moses stands before the nation of Israel shortly before his death and exhorts them to follow God, to follow Yahweh. And here Jesus is praying and as he's praying, his earthly ministry is about to culminate in his death and resurrection. And his time with his dear friends, his disciples, is quickly coming to an end. And so as we hear these words, these are the words of a shepherd who deeply loves his sheep. But he's about to leave them. I love how missionary and author Leslie Newbegin uh, describes John 17 in his book, The Light Has Come. He writes this, when a man is going on a long journey, he will find time on the eve of his departure for a quiet walk with his family. And if he's a man of God, will end by commending to God not only himself and his journey, but also the family who he leaves behind. And very surely this will be so if his journey is the last journey. This prayer in John 17 can be split into three parts, really. The first is Jesus talking to his father. The second is praying for his disciples. And the final is praying for all future believers. And what I think is so beautiful and profound about that is that's us. And so we get this sneak peek into a prayer that's for us. And so it's those verses that I want to look at more closely together. And what I want to invite you to do for just a moment is I'm going to read part of that passage again, and I want to ask you to just close your eyes, if you will, and to listen to these words as a prayer for you, both you individually and you corporately in this room. And so listen to these prayers of Jesus for you. I ask not only on behalf of these 
but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let me offer three observations about this unity that Jesus is praying for. And I want to just bring our attention to them and reflect briefly on each one. So here's the three observations. Jesus uh, the unity that Jesus prays for, first of all, is unity that is centered on Christ. Secondly, it's a unity formed in love. And thirdly, it's unity that offers a powerful witness. So the first one, the unity that Jesus prays for is centered on God. So unity, and I think we confuse this a lot in our broader culture, unity cannot be a means to an end. This is what I mean by this. Unity is not one of those things that you can arrive at unity by striving for unity. We try that a lot. And I'd say we generally always end up mildly disappointed, if not deeply disappointed. However, the way you, to achieve unity, the result happens when diverse community people come together around a shared purpose or person. So one of my favorite examples of unity was uh, when I was growing up, I played a lot of soccer. Um, growing up for me from ages about 10 through, I don't know, like my early twenties or so soccer was like my sport of choice. And I, I played it year round, indoor, outdoor. And one of my favorite things about it was the deep bond that happened between teammates. It became like family. And when I was, uh, in my early teens, I was part of the first ever competitive traveling soccer team in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, um, which might sound fancy, but it so was not. <laughs> so soccer in Eau Claire at the time was, it was not particularly a soccer town. Is anybody here from like the Eau Claire area? No, it's okay. It's fine. But at the time, and I think it's more so now, but at the time it was not a soccer town. It was like football and basketball were everything. And this was evidenced by the fact that like, if you showed up to a soccer game, uh, one of the most common cheers was like, kick it hard. And that was like, you've achieved ultimate soccer success if you could just kick it far. It didn't matter which direction. They were just impressed if you kicked it far. Uh, our team once, just to highlight like how great we were, um, we once played a team from England at a U16 tournament um, and lost 20 to 0, which I don't know, in like football scores, like 300 to 0, and basketball, it's like roughly 1,000 to 0. 
So uh, we just got trashed. But despite being mediocre, we were like family. And that reality of family was created off of just hours and hours on the field together of spending time. And so we felt like there was just a oneness, a closeness. But as soon as that team disbanded a few years later, that sense of unity almost immediately disappeared. And my experience on this team is very similar to lots of other experiences. When unity is built around a sports team uh, or a neighborhood or a political platform or, or sometimes even like a church congregation. But the unity that Jesus is praying for is a unity of being in Christ. And here's the beautiful thing. This is a unity that is born out of our new identity in Christ. That means it becomes part of who we are. It's not temporary, nor is it dependent on our circumstances. In fact, this unity is as durable as the Trinity itself. And so when the people of God, in all their diversity, live in unity with one another, we're actually living out the kingdom reality that will one day be fully realized when we stand from every tongue and nation before the throne of God as one. Secondly, the unity Jesus prays for is formed by love. So as you read through John 17, the more you read it, the more you sense Jesus's deep affection for his father, for his disciples, and for all future believers. And the invitation we find here is for us as individuals and as a community to abide in, that God, in God's love for us and to then live out of that reality. Let me unpack that just a little bit. So this past year, I was part of a, a program of, around spiritual formation, um, which was designed for people going into the second half of their careers in ministry, which is just like really hard for me to say out loud. Um, but that's me. So cheers. Yay. Getting older. Fun. Um, and during this experience, we had a couple of retreats as well as monthly calls with a spiritual director. But all of this was centered around this idea of abiding in Christ. And for me, in my, my walk, in my journey, my experience of knowing God, this idea of abiding with Christ is, is one that, to be really honest with you, is a fairly foreign one. And so this last year has been really challenging as well as really encouraging. One of the practices that I have found particularly meaningful is this invitation to sit down in a, in a quiet space and set an empty chair across from me and then to imagine that Jesus is sitting in that chair. And then to continue to imagine what a conversation between myself and Jesus would look like. And the first time I did this, I was like, this is weird. I hope nobody's watching. And then as I continued to do it, it became profoundly meaningful for me. And one of the things that I have heard over this last year as I've been practicing this is Jesus saying to me, I love you. You're mine. I love you not because of anything you achieve or how you compare to others, but because you're mine. I love you because I love you. I just hear that over and over and over. And this experience of God for me has reminded me that my value as a person does not come from my list of achievements, from what degrees I have or don't have, how I compare to the people around me, whether they're sitting next to me or my neighbors, or how big my bank account is, or how great my moral character is, I'm loved because I'm in him. 
This kind of love offers me a deep sense of security and honestly, humility. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And while I'm describing to you my personal experience over this last year, this is true for every person of God. We, you, are loved. Not because of how you compare to the person around you, not because of how you compare from the person who lives across the hall or across the, your workspace, not because of a list of accomplishments or your GPA, not because of your moral superiority or lack thereof. You are loved because you're in Christ, and that is enough. And as we, as the people of God, begin to experience this kind of love, we become rooted in God's love for us. And in the togetherness of that, we grow in unity. Because the truth is, we are in Christ together. Finally, the unity of Jesus prays for offers a powerful witness. So Jesus prays that we, the people of God, would reflect the very same level of unity that is in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a profoundly countercultural way of living. This is saying that in the midst of our different skin tones, the languages we speak, the economic groups, political views, countries of origin, opinions about COVID, and a thousand other things in our culture that divide us, the people of God are one. Paul writes this to the Galatians, chapter 3, 28 and 29. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Our unity in Christ, when lived out in the midst of our many differences, and they are there, offer a compelling witness to a world that is deeply divided. Because our unity points to the very loving character of God. It becomes an expression of the good news of Jesus. Are you with me? One of my favorite examples of this in recent history uh, that happened here in our own area is uh, the Psalm 46 Fund. So in the spring of 2020, uh, Reverend Marcus Allen at Mount Zion Baptist Church and Pastor Marcio Sierra from Lighthouse Church, these are a couple of churches here in town, were connecting with each other and they began sharing about what they were experiencing in life and it came up that both of them were receiving significantly more uh, requests from within their congregation as well as the broader community for support with things like uh, rent and food and a variety of other just basic needs. And so as they were talking, they decided, and they hadn't really worked all that much together in the past, but they decided together to start the Psalm 46 fund together. And their hope for that was that they would, out of that fund, do a better job of responding to some of these needs that were coming at them from the broader community. And then their next step was they began to invite the broader church to join them in being united and serving some of the most vulnerable people in Dane County. And at the time, their goal was, man, it would be so cool. It would just point to who God is if we could raise $50,000 to support those in need in our community. And neither of them was ready or had any idea what was going to happen next. 
because over the next just couple weeks, dozens of churches throughout Dane County united in their support for the Psalm 46 fund. And over just several weeks, they raised over $500,000 that were donated back out into the community. But not only was it an outpouring of generosity, but it also was a beautiful moment of significant coordinated services where churches who had never worked together suddenly were, were correct, creating bonds and new relationships and uniting around serving those in need around them. They were living out, love your neighbor, as we've been called to do. And I know from talking from both uh, Pastor Sierra and Reverend Allen that this broad and united response from the broader, greater church of the Dane County led to countless conversations from community members, nonprofit leaders, city leadership, all around how the love of Christ had been expressed in tangible ways by the people of God. And new relationships were born and strengthened within the broader church. And when the people of God are one in the midst of their many differences, not trying to cover them up, but celebrate the reality that we are not the same, it offers a powerful witness to the loving character of God. And this Psalm 46 story is just a taste of what unity within the Madison church could look like. So I just want to invite you for a moment to imagine with me what would happen if the people of God came together in complete unity in love for each other and worship of God. Imagine what would happen, how this community would be transformed. Imagine the hope that this would offer a deeply divided society. And so here's my hope for you. Hope for us, new culture, that we might be united as one and that our unity would be centered around the person of Jesus and that together we would be transformed by the love and God's love for us. And then, as we live in unity with one another, in the midst of our many differences, both here in this room, as well as with our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the city, my prayer is that that would offer a beautiful witness to the very character of God in our community. We pray that this would be to God's glory. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are here with us right now in this room, in this space, and that when we go from here, you're with us wherever we go. God, help us to be a people who know that we are loved not because of what we achieve or accomplish, not because of our character and how it compares to others, but because we are your kids and we're in you. And may that love deeply bind us and unite us and help us to express that same kind of love towards one another. And may that be the unified, beautiful picture of your people living out until you one day that kingdom reality is fully realized when you return and make all things new. So give us the grace to offer glimpses of that reality now. In your name, amen. Thank you so much. That was such a beautiful image of the kingdom of God and like what that's going to look like and how we can do that here on earth, but like in our city. That's amazing.
Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up service. Go to community on Tuesday. You've only got two more chances until fall. And we'll see you next Sunday. Bye, guys.